All glory, all honor, all wisdom are yours, O Lord. You know, sometimes it's really hard to remember that in a very broken world is broken people. Um, we know that, but living that is a challenge. By the way, did you know that the world's broken? Have you observed that here recently? Um, in fact, I think it's appropriate to say that we live out not just in a broken world, but frankly, a flat-out blatant wicked world. Um, Syria. Um, apparently, governing people drop chemical weapons on their own people. Hey, friends, that is straight-out wicked. Kim Jong-un doing things to people is not even made known um, to the vast majority of us and other leaders like that. It's just a wicked world. In Haiti, uh, wicked people con parents in utter poverty into thinking that they will care and educate their children if they will just hand them over and then they put them into child sex trafficking. It's just wicked. But brokenness and wickedness are not just a thing today. Uh, there's sometimes we think history is just our lifetime. But actually, brokenness and wickedness goes all the way back. And in fact, not only back to Genesis 3, but also in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2? Uh, it's towards the beginning of the Bible. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, it's page 220, 526 is where we'll be today. Um, last Sunday, we were in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and part of uh, 2, and we met Hannah, and we wrestled along with her as she wrestled with the ways of the Lord and doing life with the Lord as the Lord does it his way. And the moral of the story, maybe that's a bad way for me to say it, but I'll just say it that way. The moral of the story for Hannah uh, and coming out of that is not that things eventually will work out the way we hope. That, that, that's not the objective of the story of it all. Uh, the objective is that the ways of the Lord are not our ways, and knowing that even in the, when the ways of the Lord are not our ways, the ways of the Lord are going to be the ways of the Lord, and he's going to do a work. And the Lord is at work. And uh, we don't even need to get the, way, the Lord's ways to be able to have faith that he's going to do a work. Uh, that was last Sunday, keying in on life with today. Instead of uh, Hannah wrestling out life with the Lord, it's frankly, it's two loser priests living out full wickedness in the presence of the Lord. Uh, today is kind of the life without in the sermon series. Last week was life with, this week is life without. We'll be intersecting those as we all move along through the book of Samuel through the first 15 chapters. But today we're in chapter 2. And uh, I just want to say, if you're looking for reasons why doing life without the Lord is a really bad idea, uh, here's a great text for you today that we're in. Uh, this text will, uh, I hope, encourage you to uh, consider doing life with the Lord or increasingly with the Lord with our text. Well, here's what I want to do. Our text is very loud with wickedness, 
So I actually want to make sure at the beginning we see that in the wickedness, there's our whispers of God's ways, all right? So I want to take a look. There are four whispers, and the first uh, is kind of a whispered pair. The very last statement in chapter one, if you look there and you see it, it says, he and he, that's talking about Samuel, baby Samuel, and he worshiped the Lord there. Maybe I should say it more like this in light of what I just said. These are whispers. And he worshiped the Lord there. Okay. And then Hannah has her song in here, her prayer in here that we read through last Sunday. And then you get to verse 11. And at that, and it's, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Oh, by the way, everything that we read about today and everything that's going on in the tabernacle and with the priest, Eli is literally living in that presence of that. Oh, by the way, there's a few more whispers. Uh, go to the second pair of them. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering uh, before the Lord. And then go down to the end of verse 21. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. We're, we're gonna touch on these here in a little bit. But there's like these whispers of God is at work. Oh, and then there's a third one. Go to verse 26. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Why is that crazy? Because there's loud wickedness going all around before that is said. Okay? And so we have these whispers. Oh, and the last whisper is in chapter 3, verse 1. And we finish out the loudness of wickedness and God bringing judgment. And then there's this last little whisper, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Um, in a loud with wickedness world, and sometimes even in your own life where there just seems like there is wickedness going on all around you. Know this. The Lord is at work. Lord will do work. And it may not be the way I want or it may not be what I want. But the Lord's at work. And so, Lord, we hold tight to that because we are about to read some text that is loud with wickedness. And these whispers oftentimes can get lost. But may we never forget you are always at work. Always. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I've noted three movements in our text uh, here. If you're looking at sermon notes page, they're kind of oriented by the, the key characters in each of these sections. There's the uh, two son priests, there's the one father priest, and then there's the man of God. Let's begin with the first movement, the two son priests. Uh, we begin in verse 12, uh, chapter 2. Verse 12 kind of states the issue right out on the table, and then verses 13 through 17 kind of establish that issue that's stated. Uh, verse 12, now the sons of Eli were like, let's just cut to the chase, worthless men. And the sons of Eli were worthless men. Uh, they did not know the Lord. The sons of Eli were worthless men. In the Hebrew, it carries this idea they were sons of Belial. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but I'm going to tell you, to them, back in that day, that meant wickedness. 
Uh, They were sons of uh, utter destructiveness. Uh, They did not know the Lord. There was no regard for the Lord. Why is that a big deal? Because we're going to learn here, they are priests in the tabernacle. Listen, can we all agree that's a bad situation? Okay, that's a bad situation. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, these two boys, they are sons, but they are also priests. You have to understand that in this. Uh, Verse 13, the custom of the priests with the people was, pause. Okay, because this is going to establish why they're worthless men, why they are not seeking the Lord. That statement right there has the potential for you and I as we read that to think, well, they're just carrying out the the customs that God had put in place. Uh, I don't actually think that's what it's saying. I think the statement has been made, and now it is telling us that, that this is not customs of the Lord anymore. This is customs of these two priests, This is like the Lord's practices manipulated, maneuvered, and now these new practices are happening by these two worthless, they could give a rip about the Lord men. Okay, so it's what God has put in place, but reworked. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kittle or cauldron or pot. By the way, none of that is told to be done in Leviticus or any of the Deuteronomical kind of uh, discussions. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. The custom of the priests... It's not, uh, this is what scripture said, it's what these boys are now doing here. And what's happening is the tabernacle has become Vegas to these guys. I mean, it's like, hey, you know, you put the meat in and got to understand for us in that day, uh, the the prime selective meat, what was the kind of the, get that, let's get that for our family, let's take the best of the best for ourselves in there. And and in this, it's kind of like, okay, hey, let's do this. Let's let's manipulate and rework what God said how to do all this. I'm not going to go through the whole practice of that this morning, but they were doing that. They were redoing how God said it. And part of that said, hey, how about this? We take like a, a, a big fork and when it's thrown into this we just like stick it in and pull it out and bingo or I don't know what the Vegas terms are nowadays in that but it's like woohoo winner in that this is what's happening here and the tabernacle Shiloh has become a casino and these two boys are the casino lords okay got to understand the travesty that's happening here, the arrogance of what's happening here. They could care less about what the Lord says. The Lord said some things and now we're gonna make them for our benefit. Verse 15, moreover, in fact, let's add to this, before the fat was burned, because there is a process for that, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, uh, but only raw. Again, this is redoing what God had put in place. Verse 16, and if the man said to him, in other words, the person bringing the sacrifice said, "Uh, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, by the way, That's the way it was supposed to be done. 
In other words, if someone came and said to the priest's servant while the whole sacrifice is going on, no, 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 what you're requesting essentially is not right. That, that's not the way God had put it together. That's not why God told us to do this. No, no, that's not right. If someone is, is, is graciously confronting what the sin of what is happening here, what are they supposed to do? He would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. <laughs> Want to go to church there? Bad, wicked things are not just happening in Israel, but they are happening in the tabernacle of God. It has gone that far with what's taking place here. Verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. The text is basically telling us that these two really bad dudes, these two worthless men who don't know the Lord, they're in the position of being priests, and everything that they are doing and overseeing in Shiloh at the tabernacle is being done wrong, and it's just wicked. Hey, you know, uh, things, when they're done wrong, bring bad results. I came across kind of this funny uh, image here of uh, something being done wrong. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> okay? Uh, using the right tool saves uh, lots of pain. Okay? Not, children, the right way to cut a board. Got it? Okay, listen, uh, we can go to the next one because it kind of makes some of you ill. I can see your face. <laughs> listen, that's what was happening, if you will, in the temple. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas were using uh, something that God had put into place, but totally using it wrong. And, and what's the result that's going to happen out of that? Um, disaster. Disaster. Certain things... We must do in certain ways. And if not, disaster is impending. And by the way, it's the same with the Lord. There are some things that the Lord just says, doing life with me is to be done this way. No, this is the way that we're to do it. And if we choose to do it differently, it's just going to bring disaster. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, I want for us to understand the picture that's being painted for us here. This is not two spiritual leaders who are wrestling out the ongoing daily battle with sin and doing life with the Lord. You with me on that? Okay, it is not that. These are not two leaders who are wrestling with the ongoing battle of doing sin. It's not that. Instead, what this is, this is two spiritual leaders living in ongoing, unchecked sin. Listen, no one in this room is perfect, and cer certainly including me. No one in this room is perfect. And no one is expected to be perfect in the Lord. But we are to be progressing. 
We are to be progressing in the Lord, maturing in the Lord, furthering our completion in the Lord. He has redeemed us. Now we are working to increasingly walk like redeemed people in a sin-cursed world as broken, redeemed people. And here, Hophni and Phinehas, they have no regard for the ways of the Lord. They have no regard for the glory of the Lord. They have no regard for the Lord whatsoever. There is no care about their sin. There is no care about seeing their sin. There is no conviction of their sin. There is no repentance of their sin. This is ongoing, unchecked sin. That is very differently than a person wrestling with sin on, as life moves along. You with me? Okay? It's very important to understand that. Life with Christ is not living perfectly in Christ. It is living progressively in Christ. Living for Christ is not living perfectly in Christ. It is living progressively for Christ. Listen as I read just a couple verses from Colossians 3, just a favorite passage of mine regarding this. If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Listen, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you come to receive Christ as your Savior, your identity is not you, your identity is not your job, your identity is not how good-looking you are, or whatever your issue is, your identity is redeemed in Christ. That's your identity. And that's the total hope of it all. And in that identity, something happens out of that. I'll just make reference to verse 5 in Colossians 3. Then it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, what is idolatry? Put it to death, put it to death. Now, now, here's the thing in that. Well, it's like, but I still struggle with sin. It's not dead yet. No, the idea of the text is we are people in Christ, our identity in Christ, and whenever sin shows its face, we're going to put it to death right now. It doesn't mean that we won't experience the temptation to sin again. It means as sin, every time, we're always in a war, taking it to death, taking it to death, taking it to death. That's what is happening. And Hophni and Phinehas are nothing like that. Nothing like that. They are worthless men. Oh, and by the way, in Colossians 3, you do not only put it to death, but then you put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassion hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Not only do we put it to death, but we replace it with Christ's likeness. That's progressively moving in Christ. None of that is happening with these two boys. That is why they are worthless men, as the scripture calls them. That is why they are not anywhere having anything to do with the Lord himself. Man, I'll tell you, it starts out dark, but then there's a whisper. As dark as this, let me just read through this paragraph quickly. As dark as these two boys are, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod. Oh, and his mother, Hannah, used to make for him a little wee robe, getting ready to go over to Scotland, a little wee robe 
and would take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And then Eli would bless Elkanah, that's cool, and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So they, then they would return to their home and indeed the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. In all the loud wickedness that Hophni and Phinehas are doing as worthless men, as priests in the temple, making a mockery of God, there is a little boy that God is raising up and God is going to do a work. Never lose hope. In a wicked, wicked world, never lose hope because God is never Stopping his work. Movement number two. One father priest. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old. He kept hearing that all his sons, all that his sons were doing to Israel, and they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Oh, by the way, it wasn't just bad before. It gets worse. And he, Eli, said to them, Sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. By the way, parents, you have a child who has no interest in the Lord, I'm just saying, especially as adult children have no interest in the Lord or just a wayward child in the Lord. That's hard enough, isn't it? Pray for them. Pray for your kids. The Lord is at work. But I've got to tell you how hard and hurtful it must have been as a dad, not only to know what's going on, but to hear from the other people what his sons are doing in the tabernacle. You know, Eli gets kind of a bad rap, and I, I don't want to uh, coat him in candy-coated stuff because he definitely makes an error, but I will tell you there are some things that Eli do, did right, and one of them is he spoke to his sons about it. Verse 24 again, No, my sons, it is no report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord's sons, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Uh, remember last Sunday how I said sometimes when you go expository preaching and you move along through a text, sometimes you come to things that are kind of uncomfortable? Here we go. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Okay, let, let's work on this. Um, a father is not responsible for the actions of his adult sons here, Okay? However, Eli is a priest, and Eli the priest is responsible for the two priests that happen to be his sons serving in the house of the Lord, and he does have responsibility for that. And so he hears of their wickedness, he's aware of their wickedness, and he calls them out as a father and as a priest, but the text tells us they would not listen. So what else should Eli have done? Well, as a priest... Eli should have removed them because they're disqualified. Would we agree on that one? I mean, completely disqualified. I mean, they are playing, they are playing Vegas games in the temple, and, 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 and the tabernacle has become a brothel for them. And they are using and abusing the women who are serving there for their own wickedness. 
and Eli should have removed them. Ministry is not a family business. Note the end of verse 25. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. I can't avoid it. I just kind of would like to move on because it's like, that's awkward. But there's something to be learned from it. But also at the same time, I don't want to camp on it because the text has a bigger picture here. So are we to understand then from that statement that the, Lord, the will of the Lord has put them to death that maybe somehow in this, God was the one that made them sin? which then would make them not accountable for their sin if that was the case. So clearly, Hophni and Phinehas have been living in flagrant immorality, include turning the tabernacle into a brothel with what's going on. In fact, one commentator said, they turned it from a place where sin is to be confessed to where sin is committed. That's a great summary of what was going on. But that still doesn't answer the question about, so what's this will of the Lord thing? Let me just read from a couple others. Davis notes, it's easy to read verse 25 too hastily as if it said that Hophni and Phinehas did not listen to Eli and consequently Yahweh decided to put them to death. But the text does not say that. It says Eli's sons did not listen to Eli because Yahweh had decided to put them to death. Hophni's and Phinehas' resistance was not the rationale for Yahweh's judgment, but the result of his judgment, a perfectly just judgment. He goes on to say, the text teaches that someone can remain so firm in his or her rebellion that God will confirm him in it, so much so that he will remain utterly deaf to and unmoved by any warnings of judgment or pleas from repentance. I love the way he's stating it here because he's not trying to get around the issue here. He's putting this straight on the table as the text talks about it. And one of the things that that statement should cause is, listen, friends, the Lord is serious about him. The Lord is serious about himself and about his tabernacle and about his people. The Lord is serious about obedience unto him. Blakey adds, Hophni and Phinehas experienced the fate of those who deliberately sin against the light, who love their lust so well that nothing will induce them to fight against it, ongoing and unchecked. And he says this, they are so hardened that repentance became impossible and became necessary for them to undergo the full retribution of their wickedness. Loved ones, God can justly make sinners deaf to the call of repentance. If you want to go and do some more study, and I would encourage you to go to Exodus and take a look in when Moses is interacting with Pharaoh. Because through the text, it has this interspersing of Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it has at the same interspersings of time, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And part of the discussion that ends up happening, so was Pharaoh not accountable for his sin because God made him sin? No, no, no. God cannot cause sin. He is not responsible. He does not bring it. James chapter one. But know this in it. Hophni and Phinehas and Pharaoh will stand before the Lord fully accountable for their sin. And yet in it, God was also hardening hearts. I don't, you still haven't made sense of this for me. Good. 
And I'm actually quite serious about that. Because sometimes we just want to reason the Lord like we can put him in a little box and fully understand him and then honestly fully judge him. But the Lord's ways are not our ways. And there are some things about the Lord that I don't understand and we don't understand and we never will. But know this. The Lord is the Lord and he is righteous and just. And he's got it. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Hard words have been spoken by Eli to his sons. And yet in all this mess, and even in the questions, there's one more whisper. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Verse 26, that is so Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52, I memorized as a little boy at camp. Um, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Parents, what are you doing? Four areas in your children's life. You're growing them in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You're growing them physically. You're growing them mentally. You're growing them spiritually. And you're growing them socially. And Jesus grew that. And here we have this statement. The Lord is growing up this little boy. There's hope. In the midst of the darkness... In the midst of the wickedness, the Lord is at work. Movement three. One man of God. It is so cool because in all of this, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this dude shows up. Verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him. Just want to make a note. No name is given of this guy. Who is this guy? I actually, in spite of all the commentary talk about who is this, what is this, what, da, 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 I love the, the fact that scriptures don't tell us who this boy is, who this being is, who this whatever is. We just know this. Someone showed up. And, and so often we get caught in the, 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 the deliverer of the word instead of the originator of the word. Because here, this man of God is going to bring the words of God. You see the next statement? Thus says the Lord. And oh, by the way, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the latter half of it, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Hey, friends, when God's word is rare, God's people are in trouble. And I might even just add to that with what's going on today and how God's word is being taught. When God's word is junk food, God's people are in trouble. And there's a whole lot we could say about what I'm just going to read through. We could outline it. I could connect what's said to the past issues and the coming issues because it does come to be. Sometimes I just think it's really, really important when God is proclaiming judgment just to let God speak, okay? So minimal comments from me as we read through this. God's about to pour out judgment. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, 
Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? By the way, he's just giving the history. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Verse 29, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? That's the kicker. That's the kicker. You are honoring your sons above me. And parents, be careful. Parents, be very careful because we can make gods out of our kids. Be very careful. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people? Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, just to make sure we know who's talking here, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Eli is going to be the oldest man in his family from here on out. Verse 32. Then in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from, by, from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, as all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Um, and they do. Later in Samuel. Verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. By the way, we're probably thinking Samuel here, but I don't think it is Samuel. Uh, That's coming later in the text. Samuel is the one leading there. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver, a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So what's happening? Well, God is pouring out his righteous judgment. Um, sometimes people can get almost giddy about God's judgment being poured out. And I understand some of that. Because we earn for what is right to come. Correct? However, There's something rightfully fearful about God's holiness. John chapter one in Revelation, when he falls before the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, 
Isaiah before the throne. God is not in those situations bringing judgment on them. But just the presence of the Lord just should have an awing reality when the Lord speaks with power and his presence is being forthright and laid out. And here in judgment on it. By the way, as people whose natural condition, our very nature is that of absolute total depravity, when I come across texts like this, there's a part of me that inside goes, yeah, God, bring what's right, bring what's right, bring it, God. And then there's a part of that where I'm like, oh, my word. I deserve his full wrath. And so do you. But one has come that has provided for the full covering of sin to take away the wrath, the righteous wrath of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And he has paid the price. And he has made that full covering available. And the wrath that should be poured out on you and me got poured out on him. He stepped in our place and he took what needed to be taken. Righteous judgment needs to be made. And it needs to be made here and it needs to be made in all. But I'll tell you, I read a passage like this and it just reminds me, oh, through Jesus Christ our Lord receiving him, the wrath that I should get, the wrath that you should get is diverted and covered for and paid for fully. Thank the Lord. I am excited about the Lord bringing his righteous judgment to make all things right. But whenever we come across these, we should just pause for a minute and go, thank you, God, for the work of Christ and you having moved that I would receive him. And then the whisper. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Chapter 2 in this latter part is very loud with wickedness. Um, but here's, that's just times and seasons of things move. And here's what's really cool. Uh, the Lord's ways are going to get louder here. And uh, life with him is getting even cooler. Because the Lord is raising up one. A young boy named Samuel. Every year he gets a little wee robe from his mom. God's doing a work. Hey, I just want to finish with this two things. Two truths regarding the wickedness of the world and life with the Lord. Number one, know that the Lord is gracious. Know that the Lord is gracious. I mean, I just, you read through this text, and when you read what's happening here and in God's tabernacle, why did the Lord allow this wickedness and brokenness to go on for so long? I mean, these two little brats are just making a mockery of God in his house. Why did God just let them live for like a day? Why doesn't God just unload his wrath on them right then? And by the way, when the man of God tells that God is going to take them out, why doesn't God just take the two out right there? 
That'd be like an exclamation point, wouldn't it? But in God's time, that's going to happen. And I would just say this is a driving home point. Grace points to the fact that the Lord, the Lord's ways are different from our ways. Because friends, you and I struggle to be people of grace. To give grace and also to live in the Lord's grace. And the Lord is moving everywhere in his time and in his ways and in it all. Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And also 2 Peter 3, 9. Not wishing that any should perish. So I am so grateful that the Lord is gracious. We should be so grateful for the Lord's graciousness. And if that means us enduring in a wicked world while the Lord in his grace does a work on other people and is not only growing us in him, but is doing a work on other people and drawing other people to him during this, we can endure a bit longer under the Lord's grace. We, we can press on because we know that the Lord is at work. The Lord is gracious. By the way, also with that, the Lord is tenacious. He is tenacious with his name, with his glory, with his holiness, with his grace, with his purposes. The Lord is gracious, but he will ultimately not be mocked. And he will not allow unreckoned sin to go unjudged or unpunished. Rightful justice demands rightful payment. And friends, we yearn for justice. When crimes go unpunished and wickedness seems to get through, it stirs within us an anger, doesn't it? That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And yet it's the same thing with sin. And for the person who is not redeemed through the work of Christ, you're in trouble, friend. You're in trouble. And for those that are redeemed in Christ, we rejoice in his grace. But understand this, the Lord is tenacious about his name and his holiness and about your and my growth in him, right? And he wants us to continue and move. The Lord will prosecute sin. Thank that the Lord paid the price for sin for all who would receive him. Looking at the side screens, if I can just finish it this way. There's a loud of loud wickedness in the big, bold, white letters. And sometimes this is how we look at life. Like there's so much evil going on. There's so much wickedness going on. Oh, it's just like so surrounding with it. But I would suggest that part of what the text is trying to help us see is not this view, but let's go to the next slide, is to look at life this way. Is to understand there is wickedness, there is evil that is going around. It is all over the place. It is in front of me, is it on me? It, I even want to enter into it at times, and yet it, it's all over with it all. But know this, the thing that's the bold thing in it all is the fact that the God is doing a work. And we cling to that and we hope in that because the whispers are going to be coming to fruition here in the next chapter. And the chapter's following. God is at work. And we need to see it. 
They may be quiet, they may be whispers, but God is at work, friends. God is at work. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We rejoice in the fact that you are the God who is in control. You are the God that knows all things. You are the God who is working all things. And God, sometimes that is just something that we struggle to grab a hold of because we can't see it from your place. And we live in it. So Lord, in the wickedness that's going on around us and the wickedness that just seems to call at us, I pray that we would be increasingly people who pursue after you, who cling to you and hold to you. That even in seasons of life or seasons in redemptive history, it almost seems like you're quiet fact is there's whispers of you at work and we hold to those and we remain in those and we live in those because that is our hope may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so but that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope